0: Let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here this morning. And Father, give us wisdom to hear what you have to say to us. And Father, may we build our lives upon the rock that is eternal and who loves us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I want to start uh, by reflecting on the question, What is power? Today's message is called, Who Rules the World? And When you read or study, you know power is a very big question. Um, Power in personal terms can be the ability or capacity to do something or to act in a particular way. Uh, You think of the power of speech. Uh, It's the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behaviour of others in the course of events. And power is inherent in human life. Uh, We all have ability to do and achieve because of who we are. And you think of who we are we're people in relationship and there's power that takes place in relationships. Uh, We've got personalities that we're born with. We've got natural abilities that we develop. And all of these will give us a sense of capacity, ability, power to do things. And all of us in some way, shape or form will exercise power. There's no doubt because all of us uh, will be using our abilities, our personalities, uh, our place in life, our accomplishments, to affect other people, and you think about power relationships, we affect and influence others through our through our behaviours. Uh, it's why we sometimes can say that person has a power over me, that they affect me. Now, it can be in a positive way, it can be in a negative way. Um, a positive way you can affect others in relationships is coaching. Uh, people can coach others, they can develop their skills, they can empower them to achieve more. Um, There's no doubt that the uh, powers that we have at one level can be very positive in how we use them to influence other people, but they can be very negative. Uh, There's a dark side to power, no doubt, particularly in relationships. Uh, People can use the power of position or physical stature to intimidate or to bully. Uh, It occurs at work, it occurs in marriages, and sadly violence can lie behind what seemingly are happy doors of a family home. Is power in politics. Uh, I think that's been very much in everyone's mind of late. And politics is all about the obtaining and using of power, hopefully for the common good of a city or a town or a nation. Leaders are invested with power by the people. We vote them in. We give them authority to lead us and to rule us. And the theory is they should do that well for the common good. Well, that's the theory. And the ICAC investigations, I think, have been uh, incredibly revealing about how power has been abused. And it's why there's such interest in terms of what is going on in the city at the moment. And so when you live in this world, you can't escape the reality that power exists. It's neither good or evil in itself. The question is, how will it be used and for what purpose? And we come to chapter 2 of Daniel. And the topic of power is very much at the forefront of what's being looked at here as we see a king on view who has immense power. And when you start the chapter, you see a picture of a king who is ruling. When you get to the end of this chapter, you'll see a picture of a god who is ruling. And it's a very interesting contrast between the two. And at the centre of this story... There is a man who has the wisdom of God who affects the reality of this king in a very, very powerful way. Now, when you look at King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he was a very impressive man. Um, he and the nation are prospering when we come to chapter 2. Uh, his military campaigns continued. He is ruling the known world. He dispensed justice. He opposed hostile kings who sought to rob his region of riches. He was Nebuchadnezzar the just who ruled over all the lands from the edge of the Egypt to the great river Euphrates. He'd been appointed in his mind by the gods and he was seeking to fulfill his promises to them as they'd done to him. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was a great worshipper of the gods of his day both Marduk and Nabu. And his, mean, his name, Nebuchadnezzar, means, O God, Nabu, preserve and defend my firstborn son. Now, it's a very kind of interesting name because what it, I think he's called himself this. Um, basically, I am your favourite son, O God, um, Nabu. And so he saw himself in fairly elevated terms. Uh, there's no lack of self-confidence with Nebuchadnezzar. And Babylon as a nation was becoming one of the wonders of the known ancient world. Under his efforts it was becoming a major international centre, a city of great learning, wisdom and beauty. He'd conquered the known world. And then we read these words about this great king and this great nation. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. And it's fascinating because you see Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. He rules. His kingdom is great and yet he is deeply troubled. And when you get to the end of the chapter, we have a very different picture about who rules the world. God is declaring at the end, actually, there is no rule on this earth that will ever overcome his power. There is no kingdom that can stand against him. In fact, all human kingdoms will fall before him. So Let's have a look at what we see. Firstly, um, one of the main themes of this chapter is the power of divine revelation. Knowledge is power. There's no doubt about that. Um, you think about the recent arrest of the two young men for insider trading. Uh, one worked for the Australian Bureau of Statistics. He had inside knowledge about trends that were happening in our country. And I read the trends in terms of what uh, he was aware of, some of the statistics uh, on employment, et cetera, and they seemed fairly innocuous. Uh, but when you know them before they are declared and publicised in advance, Uh, when you know what's happening in your country, uh, you know how it will affect the international dollar. And he had a cohort at the National Australia Bank who was trading off this inside information. Uh, In one day, he made $2.5 million profit. Knowledge is power. Uh, They're both now under arrest. Knowledge can be very powerful. Uh, That's why the ICAC investigations have been so revealing. There has been knowledge. Uh, revealed about the secret dealings of politicians and businessmen that no one had uh, any idea about and the influences that were taking place as a result. And the problem with Nebuchadnezzar here is uh, he has some knowledge but not all knowledge. He's got a dream which disturbs him but the problem is he doesn't know what that means for him. You see, he wants to know what does this dream mean? And he's very troubled by it. Um, And as we'll see in the next chapter, uh, he actually goes and builds a statue. It's quite remarkable that he goes and builds this statue after he has this dream and has it interpreted for him. But he's got this dream and it's got this beautiful gold head but there's feet of clay. It's where we get the phrase, the feet of clay, from. And he is disturbed. What is happening? Let me read to you. The astrologers astrologers answered the king may the king live forever tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it the king replied to the astrologers this is what i firmly decided if you do not tell me what the dream was and interpret it i'll have you cut to pieces and your houses turn into piles of rubble but if you tell me the dream and explain it you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor So tell me the dream and interpret it for me Now in Nebuchadnezzar's world, dreams were respected as communications from the world of the gods. There's no doubt about that. Nebuchadnezzar would have believed that as he dreamt, the gods were talking to him. And he would have wanted to find out what they were saying because he saw himself as the firstborn son of the gods, the favoured one. But he also may have feared what he would find out because that vision had, yes, a resplendent head of gold but feet of clay. And it's worth saying this is why he'd fostered such a large group of astrologers and wise men and looked after them so well. And there's no doubt the astrologers and the wise men were very well looked after by like King Nebuchadnezzar because he wanted to have a group that he could call on in times of need like this to discover what dreams meant. And what would normally happen is the person requiring an interpretation would tell the dream to the uh, wise men and they would look up their dream manuals and they had these uh, sets of manuals which historically had uh, collected all the dreams that they knew of and the interpretations that had come and they would look them up and they would give an interpretation which is why they said may the king live forever now tell your serpents the dream and we'll tell you what it means and the Babylonian wise men are horrified when King Nebuchadnezzar won't agree with them no no you tell me the dream and the interpretation and if you can't do it your head's going to roll. Now listen to what the wise men said. It's quite profound. Verse 11. What the king asks is too difficult and you can imagine they're quivering. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they don't live among humans and you can hear them playing. Maybe you can say, this is outrageous. No one can do this. No one's ever done this. How on earth do you expect us to know what the dream is unless you tell us? No one can reveal it except the gods, and they don't live amongst us. You see, this Nebuchadnezzar is groping in the dark, and the wise men, they are groping in the dark. They need a word from God. But the gods, in their mind, well, they don't live amongst them. How is this possible? And you see, this is the problem of religion. Uh, religion, in short, is the thinking and philosophies of men about God. And you think with me about the three major world religions. Uh, Islam. Well, it's the writings of Muhammad. It's a human reflection, interpretation of who God is. You think of Buddhism. It's the writings of the prince Siddhartha Gautama who's known as the Buddha, and its its reflections on life. Now, the Buddha did not consider there actually was a god. Uh, In kind of technical terms, philosophically, Buddhism is atheism. Uh, There is just this existence that goes on. Uh, In Hinduism, there's a large collection of rituals, beliefs and practices that are many and varied from many different writers and thinkers. And they believe in many gods. And what they have in common, all of these, is it's human writings about a God who is not here that they reflect on. The Christian faith is very, very different. And you see this in stark relief here in this chapter because you see the wise men are groping in the dark, literally. They have no word from God. And you see, knowledge is power. Knowledge can bring relationship. Uh, Knowledge can bring clarity and certainty and this is what the great king wants but has not. The amazing claim of the gospel is that God has spoken and we know him and he actually has visited earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. But let's look at Daniel's response. He doesn't claim to have divine wisdom but rather he prays that the God of heaven will give him that. Verse 17, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, "'Praise be to the name of God forever and ever.'" Wisdom and power are his. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, of my answers. You have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you You have made known to us the dream of the king. And you see, Daniel's prayers were answered. Really in desperation, he gets on his knees with his three fellow Israelites and prays, God, give us the words, the insight, the wisdom. And a vision is granted. An insight is revealed. And you see, this is the power of knowledge. Uh, It brings clarity and certainty about God and his plans. And the astounding claim of the gospel, which is so different, if I can say, to the religious claims of other religious leaders is this. You can know God personally because God has entered this world. Our faith is not a ritual. Uh, There are no doubt habits and practices and disciplines involved in being a Christian as we respond to the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is not this distant, unknowable God that you cannot know. You see, the gods have come down. This is the profound message of the gospel. He has visited this world. And one of the most profound descriptions of this is by the Apostle John, who lived and ministered with him for three years. And in his letter to the churches, he says, at the very beginning, that which was from the beginning that which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life the life appeared we have seen it and testified to it we proclaim proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us and you see Daniel is being spoken to by this God who will come in years to come and live amongst us in the form of his son the Lord Jesus And the thing with knowledge is it enables relationship to take place. You can't know someone unless you reveal things about it. And one of the interesting things with ministers is you guys actually know me better than I know you often Um, because you'll get to know about my life and my struggles and my issues, etc. And it's the true of all the preaching staff. Uh, There's things that we share. You know that my father died when I was very young. Uh, I've got an incredible mother that will be coming over for lunch today and uh, will be celebrating Mother's Day with my family. And there's all sorts of information, you know, because I reveal it to you, but yet the the reality is I can't get to know everyone in the church of the size we are. And I don't know all of your stories as much as I'd like to. Uh, But that's just the nature of relationships. You get to know people. There's a sense of relationship as you share knowledge. And relationship takes place because God shares knowledge with us. Let's have a look at what um, we see. Look at verse 31. The dream itself is a vision of four kingdoms. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. I wonder if King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, after he heard the interpretation of the dream, really wanted to hear it. Uh, I think there's a great blessing that we don't know the future. Um, if we knew the future, I think it would be very difficult if we knew what was coming in life, both blessings and hardships. Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with his future. But it is worth saying we actually do know the future because we know the future in Christ. And the future in Christ is incredibly comforting when you know him personally because you know whatever happens, there is security in him. But Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with this dream and what he's confronted with is the power of God. You see, the meaning of the dream, if I can say this, is not so much about which kingdom historically is which part of the body, though there is a historical correlation and fulfilment with the kingdoms of the era culminating in the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for King Nebuchadnezzar, the reality that he's confronted with is this his kingdom will end and it will be replaced by another kingdom you see this is a dream that is the summary of all human history if i can put it this way human power comes and goes is what king nebuchadnezzar has been confronted with Um, this is the dream verse 36 and now we will interpret it to the king your majesty you are the king of the kings The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory and in your hands he's placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky, wherever they live, he's made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of God. Now, interestingly, have you heard those words echoed before in scripture? Do you know who they else describe? They describe Adam in the garden. And you see, Adam was meant to rule the world. And King Nebuchadnezzar is being described in the same terms as Adam. Yes, you are the one who is ruling the world. But yet note what has happened. You are the head of gold, but after you another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. You see, what is Daniel saying? All human power is temporary. Everyone's power is only for a season. And you see, this is the great problem in leadership. People think they can rule forever. And they will never be brought to account and never be brought down. And is this not what we are seeing with ICAC and its investigations into the political dealings of people on both sides of the party, the House, and both in politics and business, that people think they can rule and there is no accountability and no one will find them out. People think they are untouchable. Now, it's not just politicians who um, suffer for this. We all suffer for it. Uh, we all in some way will have a dream of our kingdom and what we want to accomplish in life. And the very stark message of this chapter is everyone's power, everyone's dream is only for a season. We will come to an end. I was talking about this with the staff just this week. I will come to an end here at some point. Uh, It's just the reality of life. There will be someone who comes after me. And there'll be someone who comes after them. Uh, Wherever you are now, uh, you are only there for a season. And that will come to an end. You see, none of us are eternal. None of us are all powerful. None of us are all conquering. And in the worlds that we rule, do we acknowledge that? Or do we live as if? Actually, I'm never going to end this will never stop. My time will never come. That is the confronting thing that Nebuchadnezzar has to face. Daniel says to us, if you think that way, that you can rule your world forever, then you're deluded. And you see, this is why King Nebuchadnezzar is so affected. It's only the second year of his reign and life is going so well. And he has this dream and thinks, oh dear, what does that mean? He's confronted with his mortality. That's why he's so disturbed, even though he's so powerful. You see, the second thing you see is we all have feet of clay Such a great phrase that's entered the English language, and it came originally here from Daniel. And all of us have feet of clay. You see, the dream is told to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, your kingdom is impressive, but there's a fatal flaw. Though your head shines like gold, the kingdoms of this world have feet of clay. And you see, no matter how impressive we may look, we actually all are weak and have fatal flaws. It's the great reality of the human condition that though there is incredible beauty about the human condition made by God in his image, all of us have fatal flaws and all of us are in need of redemption. And you see, what comes in the dream is the rock. And the rock is fascinating because you think about the materials that are in this great statue, which really speaks of the human hubris of our dreams and capacity to try and build things after our own image. Uh, There is gold. There is silver. uh, There is bronze. There is iron. There is clay. And they're all impressive in their own right. Gold is incredibly beautiful and sparkles and We love it for all sorts of decorative materials. Silver the same. Bronze has uh, other great qualities. Iron is so strong. Clay can be moulded into such works of beauty and art. And then you've got a rock. (laughs) Rocks are very unimpressive materials, to be honest. Um, Where do they normally go in the building? Down the bottom. (laughs) Out of sight. And this kingdom is made of rocks that is coming and you see it's instructive that it looks and is rock because you see I think what Daniel is saying it will be unimpressive and weak compared to the other kingdoms of the world that glitter and appear so strong and in the vision it appears very small verse 34 while you are watching a rock was cut out but not by human hands It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and it smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. You see, there was nothing left of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and vision and kingdom or any of the other kingdoms. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. You see, this unimpressive, worthless object becomes actually all-powerful. Though it starts small and is not noticed and is so weak compared to the other kingdoms of the world, it becomes massive and takes over. And it's not made by human hands. And it cannot be overcome. It is unstoppable and it's unbeatable. And of course we know this rock is Jesus. And it's such an apt picture for him and his kingdom and his rule. You see, he was the one who was despised and rejected. He didn't glitter with gold. He did not appear to be as strong as iron, And crush people. But rather he came in weakness. And offered himself up to death on a cross. But yet as is the rock in this dream. He is the stumbling rock for all people. Because he's not made by man. He was made by God. He is the son of God. And he will rule forever. And what Daniel confronts Nebuchadnezzar with is that in that time there was a coming kingdom that would look unimpressive and small but would be of God and it would gradually overcome all the other kingdoms of the world until it ruled an eternal kingdom and the question is which kingdom was King Nebuchadnezzar part of it's the same question for us do we base our life on the rocks Or are we just building our own visions and dreams like Nebuchadnezzar was? You see, at the heart of this chapter is a reflection on wisdom when it comes to power. Who are we really building our life upon? Are we building our own kingdoms? Or are we building the kingdom of God basing our life on the eternal rock that cannot be moved, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that we must trust in and base our life upon. And he is our wisdom and strength in life. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that we would learn from this confronting vision and interpretation of the vision We all have power that we can exercise in this world. None of us have the power that King Nebuchadnezzar had, but yet we all will seek to influence and do and dream and build. But Father, may we build our life upon the rock. May our dreams be of his kingdom. May we know him personally, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.